Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Presented by Hunting Exchange, a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters. Welcome back, everybody, to another Southern Outdoorsman listener success story episode coming to you this Friday. Hope you all have had a great week and getting out this weekend to go do some hunting. Uh, we've actually got a listener to the podcast, Mr. Carson McBride, uh, coming in from Northwest Arkansas. Carson, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Awesome. Well, glad to have you on here. And before we get too much farther, I've got to say this because, again, I've been uh, forgetting the last few times doing these listener success stories. Uh, make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast because maybe – you can uh, have some success like Carson did, you know, using some things that he's kind of learned from the show from some of the guests, got out there and killed a nice buck, and then you could maybe be on the show uh, on a future episode. So make sure you, get, you guys are subscribed to the podcast and follow along with us. But Carson, you've had a, a great season so far. It seems like up in Arkansas, killed a really nice buck, which we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, but before we get to that, i got to do a little uh, background on you, kind of figure out a little bit more about you. Uh, of course, uh, I'm going to ask, you know, how long have you been a listener of the podcast and what got you to listen to the show? So I've been listening to the podcast since uh, probably the beginning of October, whenever uh, Rusty Johnson's podcast came out. And uh, I had a buddy who told me, he's like, hey, you need to listen to this podcast like this. You could probably use some information from that. And uh, that's how I heard about it. I heard about it from one of my friends. And so ever since then, I've just been a listener to the podcast, going back and looking at old episodes, new ones that come out. So that's how I got into it. 
Yeah, awesome. So, yeah, Rusty Johnson Classic, Northwest Arkansas, and uh, just an absolute killer. Um, so that was one that was extremely impactful for you and kind of got you start listening to the show. So, uh, you know, you definitely classify as a new listener uh, by far. Mm-hmm. Just started this deer season. Uh, I- I've got to ask, um, you know, with you being a new listener like that, what has been a few of those things that maybe have been, I don't know, you could say eye-opening, just maybe some impactful things that you've heard from maybe like Rusty's episode or some of these other episodes that you maybe had not previously either thought about or finally were able to put some things together to then, you know, apply out into the woods. Gotcha. Yeah. So midday, midday movement is a big thing that like both of the like two of the most impactful podcasts that I listened to so far, both talked about midday and uh, that's really helped me a lot. I've said a lot more midday this year and have seen a lot more deer than I normally would have if I just hunted till like, you know, say nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning. Well, okay, let's talk about that a little bit then. So, first off, you mentioned Rusty Johnson uh, in his mm-hmm. episode, which was impactful for you. What was the other guest, or who else was kind of an impactful uh, guest for you? It was episode 204 with Adrian Farley. Okay, Adrian Farley, absolutely. So, an Alabama uh, kind of local legend as well, killed a bunch of deer, kind of old school guy. Um, actually has a pretty great YouTube channel. Y'all can go check it out. I think it's AWF Outdoors. If uh, I think I've got that correct. Uh, but anyways, so Adrian was extremely impactful for you. And, of course, you know, he's a big rut hunter uh, targeting deer, you know, throughout the day. But, uh, you know, big believer in those midday sits. So that and Rusty was a pretty impactful for you, it seems like, on kind of when to target these deer uh, in these areas. And how did that change compared to what you used to do? And maybe like your, your kind of uh, what you were doing previously before you kind of heard these two guys' perspectives. Yeah, so – Used to, I would, I'd get out there, you know, obviously before daylight, getting to my, getting to my tree, and I would, I would sit till sometimes 9:45, 10 o'clock, and then I would call it quits, and I would either go to a different spot or go to the truck, get lunch, and come back around two, two o'clock, three o'clock, and sit until dark. But this year it changed and it helped me get, get quite a few more deer sightings um, than I normally would have because I didn't hunt midday. But this year has been a definitely definitely good year for midday movement awesome so let's let's talk about this i really want to kind of get into a little more background for you um carson just again how old are you i'm 20 20 okay so uh i've got to ask because i know you killed this buck on some public land how long have Mm -hmm. you been hunting public land and what kind of got you to you know focusing on public land i've been hunting public land for four or five years and uh what got me into public land was we live in the middle of town. We don't have any land. We hunt around here. And I knew there was some public land out close just from hearing friends talk about it and like, Hey man, like there's public land out here. There's good deer out here. You should come hunt it. And, uh, so I was for my birthday one year, my dad got me my first compound and that WMA is bow only. So I took that compound out there. Me and him went and we didn't have a tree center thing. We just kind of sat on the ground and, uh, in an area we found some deer sign that's all we knew there was some deer sign there and it looked like a good area we sat on the ground that morning first time ever hunting public land within 30 minutes we had a nice eight point buck he was he came he came out across this opening and uh was coming to check a scrape and uh he got downwind of us we didn't really play the wind or anything back then he took off we didn't see him but that gave me that really hooked me seeing that big buck come in on public land like that first time ever even hunting it before then so that's what got me into hunting public. I've hunted private on like youth hunts and stuff my whole life just because my, my dad's hunted and my grandpa's hunted and stuff. So, but getting into the public land that, that happened about four or five years ago when my dad took me out there. Awesome. So again, your background, just kind of getting into that public land hunting is something that's kind of interesting just because out of need, I think that's something that a lot of our listeners can probably relate with. I know, um, Andrew definitely can relate with that as well. Uh, when he was in high school, uh, of course, uh, anyone that's been listening to the show long enough uh, knows Andrew's uh, dad passed away, and uh, that was one thing that Andrew really turned to was hunting a lot of you know public land locally to him. Uh, because if it wasn't for that, the only other time he was able to really ever try to go out and hunt was uh, just if buddies invited them down to their clubs or lease or whatever. Um, so, you know, everybody's got their different reasons for hunting public land, uh, some for the challenge and some just for the, it's the only opportunity they really have. So it seems like that's something that's been impactful for you. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, let me ask, what's your journey been so far the last few years of hunting public land? You know, what were some of those, uh, you know, some of those maybe low, low kind of periods and also maybe some of the highlights, uh, of some of the things that you kind of learned, uh, just in the short couple of years of you doing it and how did that differ from what you had been done previously especially when you had access to some of the private land yeah so 
when that first sighting of the first time I ever hunted public land really was like one of the coolest things I've seen just because I didn't, I didn't really know exactly what I was doing. I knew I knew how to find deer sign because from hunting private land, you know, I've been hunting my, for pretty much as long as I can remember, but hunting public land, I knew it could be different. So I saw that, I saw that really good buck and I kept hunting that same spot over and over and over that season. And I just, I never saw another deer hunting that same spot. And so that kind of discouraged me. So after I, after that season was getting closing to an end towards like the the end of December, early January, I decided to start scouting some more areas and I started walking farther and farther back. And I discovered this spot that had like three good like ditches or like drainages that came up to this, this big old tall flat with a lot of white oaks on it. And I, I was able to find a bunch of good, like a good scrape line on this old like logging trail that was through there and a good rub line around there. And that, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta start hunting this. So a few, I don't know. I think it was about a month later. It was almost in the season. Our season is February 28th for bow. And it was, it was almost beginning of February, late January. I go back in there for the first time. And I had, by then I had gotten some tree stands and I got a ladder, like just a, a ladder you strap to the tree really heavy. And I went back there with one of my buddies. We strapped that thing up the tree. I mean, we're a mile and a half in there. And we sit and sit and sit, and about, I don't know, 8.30 that morning, a uh, whole group of does comes through. And that was the second time I'd ever seen deer on public land. I was I was pretty nervous. I was shaking. I was going to shoot one of them. And we watched them for a good 15 minutes before one of them came in. And one of them finally got to a, about a 30-yard shot through a clearing that I had. And I took the shot and just completely missed her. And I was like, I was pretty bummed about it. But that was the, that was the only two, like, sightings of deer i had that entire year hunting that piece of public and the season ran out before too long after that so i didn't get to hunt it much more so so a lot of it seems like kind of you getting out there and just trying to have your own way at it let me mm-hmm. ask um you know, when it comes to kind of outside influences for you when it comes to like who you kind of look up to when it comes to hunting i mean is that like your dad your grandfather was there somebody else also that's been impactful for you as in kind of um, like kind of coaching you kind of on your way or you know kind of yeah. what's your background with that Gotcha. So yeah, so both of my grandpas, my mom's dad and my dad's dad, have both I've been around them my whole life, and they both deer hunt pretty heavily. My dad's dad, he has killed I don't know how many deer he's killed. We'd have to go through his checkbook. He's got a picture of every single one he's killed. And uh, he used to he hunts a national forest land, but it's pretty landlocked by private, and it's he's not far from their private land border. And uh, he's been pretty impactful for me about how to when I first started hunting those those public areas telling me like what to look for on like scrape lines, stuff like that. And, uh, my uncle, my mom's brother, he is, uh, he showed me how to like work around different terrain and how to come in from different angles on mountains and slopes, things like that. Instead of just kind of barging into certain areas and blowing deer out, he showed me kind of how to, how to work around stuff to get into places easier, but still be able to get in there kind of undetected. Dude, it sounds like we need to interview your uncle first off, man, yeah. on creative access. That's interesting. Yeah. Very cool. So awesome. Um, so, you know, you had them as like some big supporters of you, kind of learning a lot. And uh, let me ask, was it pretty much like once you got your driver's license, that's when you were just kind of buck wild, like, okay, I'm going to get it, ha- get out here as much as I can. And this Yeah, pretty like- much. That's, that's like, man, I got my driver's license. I can go whenever I want now. You know, like I don't have to wake my dad up early. I can, he can sleep in. I can get in the truck and just go out there and do my thing. And so I got my driver's license in like December of the like second year I've been out there. And that's when I started, I started going to more areas, more spots, scouting more, hunting more areas, things like that. Right. When I was able to start driving. Awesome. So how long did it take you? You've been hunting again, public land for about, I think you said four or five years right now. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did it take you to actually have, you know, success of actually be able to kill a deer? Uh, it took until last year. Okay, so let's let's talk about that progression because we're going to get to a little bit more about like these episodes and everything else. But I, I really want to mm-hmm. talk about this kind of journey. You know what kind of got you to that point? I mean, because I'll say the same thing. When I hunted public land, started hunting public land, uh, it took me uh, two, almost three seasons before I was able to kill my first deer. Uh, just because mm-hmm. it was so much different from what I was used to hunting private land. Uh, yes. it was, uh, it was very challenging. I mean, it still is challenging. Mm-hmm. That's why I love it. But, uh, you know, what was that progression like up to that point of killing that deer? I mean, some of those other quote unquote failures that you've kind of learned from to then have success. Yeah, for sure. So the, the year I killed it was last year, 2020. I'd been hunting that same area that I, I'd missed the doe in the first, 
year I hunted public land. I hunted that same area, not far, probably within a 100 yard, like as the crow flies, 100 yards from where I, or the tree I was sitting in when I shot the buck last year versus where I missed the doe, like the very beginning of public land journey for me. Um, I kept scouting that area more. I, I worked like a, a good, I don't know, a good 500 yard area around where I missed that doe. I wanted to figure out like why those were, why those does came through there that day, like what they were doing and where they were going. And, uh, there's, they came out of like a ditch, like a big, long drainage. Like it's, it's, it's not a small one. It's a, it's a big one. It's pretty flat in the bottom of it, pretty thick. And it runs like, uh, kind of from that would be North west to southeast it kind of runs northwest to southeast as drainage and uh there's a couple more that kind of hook around it they're that are smaller like ditches and they all come up to this flat and what they had done is i was sitting kind of on a hillside and they came they came i don't i really don't know how they didn't smell me because they came in from downwind of me and they were they came out of one of those really steep that really nasty like big long ditch that runs like northwest to southeast they came out of there and uh, I walked down in there the next year during the summertime, and I I blew a whole bunch of deer out of there. It was it was all does from what I could understand, what I could see, but I could, figured out an area that like on that on that spot right there they like to bed there a lot. So I put up uh, then I after that during the later later part of that summer I started putting up trail cameras in there, and I started like seeing bucks. I'm like wow, there's some really good bucks back here. I didn't know that there was ones back here, or at least the ones like the size that I had on camera. And I noticed I had a really decent looking eight point. Like it's, he wasn't a, a huge deer by any means. He was a, he's a, but he was a good deer. And I'm like, man, if I see that thing, like he's getting, he's going to get an arrow. Like that is, that would be the biggest deer I've ever killed. And it'd be my first public land deer. And he came through there quite a bit and he would, uh, he would follow this trail. And it was about, I think it was, it was probably like a 75% up, upwind of like this ridge. Whenever the wind was blown out of the Northwest, he would walk that every time the wind was blown out of Northwest. But if the wind wasn't blown out of the northwest, I wouldn't get pictures of it. So it comes to about September and scrapes start popping up. So I'm, I'm like, you know what? I've never put a camera on a scrape. So I put one on a scrape in there. And lo and behold, here he was. He was hitting that scrape a lot. And it was always like like first thing in the morning, as soon as it gets daylight. And I wouldn't have any more pictures of him, not even throughout the nighttime. Just first thing in the morning, like right at shooting, like he would come through and hit that scrape. And uh, I suspected he was bed bedding pretty close to there in that big drainage where I've found those that have bedded down in there. I, I suspected he was bedded down in there somewhere. So it was, I actually killed him on Halloween last year. I packed my stand in that morning. I walked in. It was It's about a mile and a half. I come in from like how, how, how Rusty Johnson talks about coming in from the bottom. I came in from one of the bottom drainages that I didn't really expect deer movement to come through. And I get in there pretty early. I've got my tree stand set up and it's well before daylight. I wanted to get in there, get the wood settled down and just be quiet right at daylight comes and that dude steps up out of a bed i didn't even know i, I right when it gets daylight i was able to see him like bedded down and uh he steps up out of his bed and starts making a scrape stands up on his back legs hitting the licking branch and he's making his own scrape it wasn't one that was even there i was like wow like I'm, that's pretty cool I'm, I'm looking at a nice buck right now and uh a little i think it was a six point some kind of little buck he was working the scrape that i had my camera on and the, the eight point did not like that. So he started beelining towards that scrape that he, I got pictures of him on a lot. And, uh, he get, he presented me a 15 yard shot and I just put it right where I needed to be. And that was into him. And that was my first public land deer Halloween day. That was awesome. Oh, that is awesome. So, so again, you know, with a few years under your belt on public land, you finally are able to kill a, a nice buck. So mm -hmm. let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, this year. And again, you know, you've only been, a, well, well, we already talked about how long you've been listening to the podcast, which has only been a couple months now. Um, yeah. When you heard Rusty Johnson's episode, what were some of the impactful things that he talked about that you're like, oh, maybe it was like a little aha moment or like kind of eye-opening for you? Yeah. Um, whenever he talked about how these deer will cross these steep ridges and ditches and just go through this steep terrain and cross down through there, I was like, wow. Like, I've never – expect the deer to really cross that steep stuff I always expect them to work around the tips of it work the saddles like you see your textbook spots and i mean i've still found that they do but ever since he i i listened to him talk about crossing those ditches like that it's like man like there's a lot of those ditches in here and like a couple of them were like in areas that i never even expected i would even go hunt until this year after listening to that podcast i was like man i'm gonna go scout some more areas 
Yeah, I did. And every single time I went in one of those areas, I saw deer. Like I didn't hardly have a time on public land this year on that same piece of public where I didn't see deer because I, I, after listening to him talk about crossing those ditches, I would sit in those places or near those places. Like I, I, in the evenings I would sit down low, pretty low, you know, just because of the thermals. But in the mornings I would sit like on a flat where two ridges almost touch. And I would see these deer come out of these steep hillsides like I wouldn't have ever really ever set in those kind of areas and uh they would come out of there and they would either feed on white oaks or just go straight back down into another ridge like crossing them like that so that's that's the big thing I learned from him is just like crossing those ditches like that I wouldn't ever expect a deer to walk in something so steep and I'll I'll say this after hunting northwest Arkansas this year uh I, I think that you know I don't know you know the majority of everybody of course like what the the no, I guess how to put this: when it comes to people that hunt that kind of terrain, how many people are actually going into that stuff and doing like what Rusty's doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, because when I was out there, it seemed like all the pressure everybody I was talking to—they're all hunting top of these ridges, yep—and these long secondary ridge points come off the side of the mountain. And it's like you know they're killing deer during the rut when they're catching does coming up through the feed and catching bucks yep. and running them across. But outside of that, they're like, Dude, "There's not many deer. Like you're not catching many deer outside of the rut." And yeah. uh, after talking to him and actually doing that episode with him and getting down off to some of those hillsides, um, that's where the deer were at. I mean, they were on these steep, nasty slopes. They were coming up these drainages, working these benches farther down the side of the mountain uh, in, in places that you kind of question, do I really want to walk down there? Because you're coming from the top, of, at least where I was at, you're coming from the top a lot. You know, do I want to walk down there and have to come all the way back up here to the truck? And uh, that's just where they were at. And the sign was crazy. But then you get on top of the ridges and you'll find like some nighttime sign and guys stands, but it's like, uh, you know, it was just an interesting aspect of it. So that that's something that's curious about, you know, Rusty and kind of his perspective out there is that man getting off in that real nasty habitat, that, that terrain, getting down there on those drainages and catching those, you know, deer coming around the edge of them uh, and crossing them. Um, and, you know, it seems like that played, a, you know, some success for you this year at least. Yep, sure did. So um, let's talk a little bit more about this. When it came – when it comes to hunting those hills and everything in – um, you know, the, the mountains of Northwest Arkansas, the Ozark Mountains. You know, what is some of those things that you think a lot of guys are doing? And maybe, like, what you've been doing that's just now, after hearing, like, Rusty talk about, like, how he approaches that stuff, maybe it's like, okay, hey, I need to change maybe what I've, you know, heard from in the past to now focus on maybe some more of the steep stuff. I mean, are you finding most of the people talk about, like, I'll just sit on top of ridges and, and stuff like that or more in kind of clearings? You know, kind of what have you been – what have you heard from other people? And you don't have to mention anybody, but like, what have you heard from other people that after hearing Rusty, you're like, okay, Rusty has a different perspective and clearly is being successful getting on these mm-hmm. faces. Yeah. So what I've heard from most people and what I've seen, just seeing other people stands in the woods, talking to other people is like hunt the saddles, hunt the ridge tops, like hunt the flat areas where you think deer could be cruising through. And, uh, people have success doing that, but like, nobody's doing what rusty was doing like i i i've yet to find a tree stand on the side of a 45 degree angle hill down there where i wouldn't have ever expected deer to be but i've never seen tree stands or blinds or any kind of sign of people hunting down there or heard of people hunting in those steep areas like that instead of hunting ridge tops saddles your textbook spots mm-hmm. yep uh, well, that's that's what I found out there too. All the stands I found was on top of the pretty, was on top of the the nice ridges where you could, you know, maybe you still had to walk a good ways, but you're walking on flat ground, walking down a ridge instead of walking yep. walking off the side of it. So, okay, mm-hmm. very cool. So, you know, you you've had some success last year. You killed you killed a good buck last year, and kind of going to this year. You hear Rusty, you hear Rusty talk about these steeper slopes. You start hunting some of those spots and focusing on those spots, and you start seeing deer. You know, mm-hmm. what, what did you notice from, like, the actual experience going out there and hunting and seeing the deer? What did you notice about kind of how they were crossing? I mean, was there anything that you noticed kind of a, a little bit of a pattern? Like, hey, it seems like they're always coming from, you know, they're always working around, you know, the the, the, the draw. They're cutting, cutting through the draw. Like, did you notice anything watching the deer of, like, how they moved around that terrain that was like, okay, this is something. There's more to it than just them coming, you know, around the tip of it. Yeah, so I noticed like in the evening times you would see them up up almost to the peak of where it gets flat on a ridge, where they could like I don't know I don't know why, but they would always be almost up there towards the peak of the ridge. I don't know if it's because of the time of year and maybe the acorns were hitting heavily 
more up towards the top of the ridge and they were just kind of hanging out on kind of like staging up like a staging area on the tops of those ridges waiting to go until dark to go feed on the flats and hit scrapes and eat acorns and stuff and i noticed in the mornings they would be up there as well obviously catching thermals but we had some windy days here in october and i i was unfortunate enough i had to hunt the windy days just being a weekend hunter and uh i noticed that the deer also use the wind to their advantage big time like they wouldn't they wouldn't be walking a certain direction if the wind wasn't cutting across their face kind of in front of them cutting across their face or straight into their face they wouldn't they weren't they weren't moving with the wind at their back or anything like that interesting okay so definitely having some kind of wind advantage kind of moving through there so Mm -hmm. let's let's talk a little bit more about um you know this deer and kind of putting it all together so how many from the time that you had listened to uh rusty's episode when it kind of came Mm -hmm. out how many hunts do you think that you had were, you know, before you actually killed your deer, how many hunts did you think you had where you started focusing more on those kind of areas compared to what you were doing previously? Yeah. So I, as soon as I heard Rusty's podcast, I listened to it on a Friday. I was at work. I was, I listened to it on a Friday. And, uh, the second I got off work, I went straight to the woods and I was scout. I was like, I'm going to go scout a new spot. I'm going to go listen to everything what he said i'm going to take it and just go apply it to what out here where i'm going to go scout and i scouted this area i took my bow in with me and i saw i I don't know how many deer i saw but it was over 12 i saw over 12 deer just walking a little area back in there but walking these steep areas like crossing these ditches walking down through like where he talks about a v-shaped ditch i'd walk up through the middle of that and i was i was seeing deer like especially up towards not quite to the top of the ridge but up up close to it where you could see them they were i don't know i think they were they were just kind of milling around i don't know what they were browsing on exactly but they were browsing on something and uh i I noticed after dark when i walked out that day they were i I saw a few more once they got pitch like completely pitch black i had my headlamp on i noticed them out there on those flats feeding on those acorns in those flat areas Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls. But they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call. And you just need to go look it up. It's it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spurmaster, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. So you were able to kind of go in there and start seeing deer. Let me ask, when, that first scouting trip, just, I mean, literally like the day you listened to the episode and you left work to go scout, mm-hmm. did that yep. give you more confidence that, hey, you were finding deer in the areas that he was talking about? Yes. I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to be in here in the morning. So I was in there the <laughs> next morning. I was in there the next morning, picked a tree out, and as uh, soon as daylight got at hit i actually sat in a saddle that morning i was like man i i I'd, I'd saw some deer cross this ditch i was like i gotta sit in this saddle just because of the way the wind was blowing that day so i sat there and i watched some does uh cross that saddle that morning and i hunted all day i sat all day that day i didn't get out of the woods at least i moved tree stand locations but i did not uh go back to my truck or anything like that i noticed those does crossed that that saddle that morning i saw some walking in they were on the flats and I think it was the same group of does I saw at about 9.30 that morning. There was, I think there was four or five of them. And I, I watched them feed on some acorns early that morning in the flat through the headlamp. And they didn't act phased like I was there, but they, they just kind of worked their way off into one of those drainages. And so I set, I set pretty close to that drainage, but I had to move around the other side of it because of the wind. And later that morning, I saw those does come back out of that drainage straight from the bottom of it. And they came up and they worked another flat, ate some acorns, and I lost sight of them when they dipped back into another area. And later that afternoon, it was probably like, I don't know, 2.30, 3 o'clock, somewhere around there. I was like, I'm going to get out of this spot because the wind started to swirl pretty good. And I went and sat down in a lower area where there was kind of a bench running down the side of this down the side of this drainage but it was only on one side you know your drainage it was a v-shaped one there's only one bench going down one side of it the other side was just a straight slope and uh there was a good three or four white oak trees that were dropping acorns pretty heavy and a scrape underneath one of them and so i, I put my tree stand right there and within an hour i had a pretty nice eight point come in and feed on those acorns and uh i had him at like 15 yards and i chose to let him walk just because i wanted to 
wait on a, a bigger buck. That was still pretty, that was about mid-October. And, uh, but that was the first time I actually went and hunted in there and I saw a lot of deer. Awesome. So, so it almost seemed like once you flip that switch of like you hearing Rusty, you know, talk mm-hmm. about his tactic to start implementing that. It was like the switch had been flipped from like not really seeing much deer, not really getting many opportunities to like literally being covered up in deer and actually having opportunities. Yep. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. It, it was pretty cool. I was like, wow, like, this is this is just crazy. I've never I'd never even been in that spot to hunt before. I scouted it the day before and I was in there and I saw deer all day. So so that kind of that was kind of mid October you were talking about when you had that opportunity mm-hmm. and that that uh little like that that smaller or younger eight point came by. Um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of what progressed from there? I mean, kind of some of the next few hunts, you kind of kept shifting around. Did you try new areas or did you really just kind of stay in focus on that one area? I, I stayed in focus with that one area for a few more hunts and I saw more deer, nothing that I was wanting to shoot. There were, you know, spikes, forked horns and just does. And, uh, the day that I killed my, my buck I shot this year, I chose not to go to that area and because of the wind direction and i knew i was kind of say I, I was really just hunting that area to experiment with learning about how those deer cross those ditches without having to go into the area i shot my buck last year and walk around and have a, a chance at spooking a deer because i had a pretty like I, don't, I think it was probably one of the biggest bucks i've ever had on one of my cameras come through that scrape on in the other location where i shot my buck last year and i was just kind of i was kind of savoring that spot for later in the rut or right when rut's starting to really hit pretty hard rather than just when they're on the pre-rut pattern cruising and so that's what i hunted i did not hunt that location that i saw an eight point underneath my stand that morning i didn't hunt that location but for probably another weekend or so i hunted it like i think the next weekend that saturday and sunday but i did not i haven't been back so that kind of happens and then what was the uh, walk us through a little bit um, you know, the, the day, maybe the day before you actually shot the deer, I mean, kind of what, what was the plan? How did you, what was the plan you were trying to execute? How did you want to go set up and, and what was the setup like? Mm-hmm. So the day before I listened to Rusty's podcast again, I listened to a couple of, um, just lines that he had said, I didn't listen to the whole thing again. And, um, I chose to go in the same way I, I went in when I shot my buck last year, but it was on a completely different wind. The wind was blowing out of the Southeast that morning but what little wind we had it wasn't really much and uh like i said there's a big long drainage in there that's really thick and pretty nasty and that runs like northwest to southeast and it uh it butts up to this acorn flat where there's a bunch of white oaks on there and that's where that old logging road and the scrape was i had a really good buck come through there just a few days before that and so that morning i chose to access the same way i come in from the bottom i came in from the bottom i peeked up over this flat walking towards the big drainage and uh I, I went up to where my camera was at on my scrape it had been been hitting been getting hit pretty good lately so i chose to just sit on the ground that morning because that morning i actually had the rifle with me i was lucky enough to draw a permit for that specific wma so i sat on the ground that morning just because i felt like i had more shot shot opportunities throughout the woods being on the ground and having a rifle i was able to shoot farther and see farther so opted not to climb up a tree that day, but I wasn't far from where I shot my buck last year. Last year I was in a tree probably about I don't know, 50, 60 yards from where I was sitting on the ground the day I shot mine this year, but I hunted it on a completely different wind and I was facing a completely different way because there's these two smaller ditches and like you can't even hardly see them. Like even looking at a 3D image on say Onyx or Hunt Stand, you can't even hardly see these. You have to like be in there and look at these small ditches. I don't know if it's because there's so much cover on the trees during the in the like earth photos on google earth or hunt stand onyx but i there's these two ridges and they both come up from one comes from south and one comes from north and they peak up to this flat that is butted up to a giant drainage and uh the wind was perfect for hunting that area for a deer to walk through there but not for me to hunt through there so i kind of backed off from where i normally sit in my tree where i killed my buck last year and I, I was just attempting to hunt the crosswind to where maybe like I'll just just off the just off his wind trail. So if he's coming through here, my wind's blowing his direction, but not cutting across his nose quite yet. And if it does, I'll hopefully I have a shot opportunity. So that morning I got back in there at 4:30 that morning because um, I had had some pictures of some other hunters back in that area, and I was like, I got to get in here before they do. I want to get my spot. So I, I got in there that 4:30 that morning, sat on the ground. It was cold. It was like 27 degrees. And I hadn't been sitting there 
15, 20 minutes. It was, it wasn't even five o'clock yet. And I had deer walking around all around me. I could hear them. And, uh, I finally got a glimpse at one because it walked through in front of my camera and I have a cell cam on it. And so it sent me a picture and there's a whole group of does and I'm, I'm, I'm only 15 yards from my camera. And, uh, I was on there behind the tree from me. So I don't think they could see me. I really don't know that they could smell me if they did. I, they didn't take too much acknowledge to it because they didn't, they didn't blow at me that I could hear, but I, I really don't think they would have, uh, smelled me right there. And, uh, they worked around this flat kind of on the edge of it. And they went down straight into one of those drainages from what I could hear. Cause it was still dark. I, they, I could just hear them walking in that direction. And, uh, those are the only deer that I saw up until about 10 o'clock. And, uh, at 10 o'clock I saw the buck I shot. He came up out of one of those one of those ditches and he was walking that flat i think he was either going to check that scrape or check that giant drainage that i was talking about that deer bed in i think he was either checking he was checking one of those two things probably both of them because he, he had the perfect wind for both of them and uh i think he was checking those areas for a hot doe and he caught wind of i guess those does that walked through there in the dark this morning and as soon as like he crossed that trail that they had came out of like he instantly head to the ground let out a grunt and started like running like pretty good run and that's when i stopped him oh dude well i'll tell you i had this you know this to relate i had a similar situation happen uh, a couple weeks ago actually i shot my deer shot my buck uh i guess it was two weeks ago now and mm-hmm. uh the day after i shot it, i was hunting another spot and sat up there and i could hear deer walking down below me i had to, i got to that spot real early too because there were some other hunters out there in the same situation mm-hmm. you know i want to get there in case i saw somebody i could you know flash them off with a flashlight or something and yes had exactly. a had a situation where i'm sitting there and i can hear deer walking down below me off the ridge point i'm sitting on and all of a sudden i, I hear i hear a deer walk and then all of a sudden i hear a deer i'm talking thrash a tree I'm, i mean he was going to town on this tree wow and That's I'm cool. like, and it's, you know, it's 30 minutes before daylight at this point. I've been sitting there for quite a while. And I'm like, I'm like, please, does daylight get here? <laughs> Legal light get yeah. here so I can just peek over the edge of this ridge point and look down at him. Um, but and he was down there rubbing that tree for probably 10 minutes. And then uh, I heard him, you know, just kind of ease off. And he went back up a, a, another ridge from me. Um, but, yeah, you know, again, it's interesting. When you get to a spot real early like that, um, mm-hmm. and you kind of let, like, settle down, it's amazing when you do that, uh, and it's not always possible to do that. You know, sometimes you just you just can't get in that early when you're getting in an mm-hmm. hour, two hours before daylight. But when you yeah. do, it's amazing how, especially if it's a day that's whether it's it's calm or just has a slight light breeze, but it's not super windy. How after you know a little bit of time passes and you'll start hearing deer, especially if leaves are fell off the trees at a quite a bit distance and you can kind of hear and actually michael pike talked me about this uh before w- with him and his birds but you can do the same thing like in you know early morning hunts like this where you're sitting there you can listen and you can hear where the deer are crossing at if you're hunting like in a, a, a cut over or like hardwoods or wherever you can sit there and you can listen where those deer are walking and if you you know sun comes up and you don't see them see them you can kind of hear it and you know it takes a little bit of time to kind of figure this out but guesstimate how far were they from you and then what were they crossing through or what point did they go to or come from and go to uh, and mm-hmm. find that crossing, which can then implement you for maybe the next setup of like, hey, they you know skirted me by 100 yards or 80 yards or whatever. I need to move over that direction this next time or go yeah. scout it when I get down and figure out what what happened. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's something interesting. So I wanted to kind of hit on that, but so pretty much those does slip by you dude, without spooking, which that's nerve wracking when you're sitting on the ground. I hate sitting on the ground. I'll be honest. I hate sitting on the yeah. ground. Especially I when, do too, honestly. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, not my favorite thing to do. No, well, cause like, uh, Warren Womack, who we just had on this past, well, I don't know when this episode came out. Warren Womack, who we just had on the podcast not too long ago, um, he talked about he hates hunting off the ground because he feels like he loses all advantage. And I'm right there with him. I hate sitting on the ground, whether it's with a gun, bow, especially on a morning hunt, because I just feel like, you know, if I'm in the stand and the deer comes by me, I'm like, I just feel more confident, like, okay, it can slip by me without, like, seeing me. Seems so like I sit on the ground and the deer comes by, I'm like, it's about to bust me. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I was just, that's what I was really worried about. I was worried about, like, a small buck or a doe coming by that morning and busting me just because I was on the ground. 
But luckily, the only deer I, I had saw that entire day once it got daylight was the one I shot, and he had no idea I was there. So, so but, well, kind of getting back to the hunt and everything, what time frame, again, did he kind of come uh, come uh, walking through? And also, what direction was he coming from again? Was he coming – was it down in elevation to you or from you, or was he above you or side hill? I can't remember. So, he came from down like a hill that I could see. I mean, I know that I didn't see him actually come out like of a ditch. But the flat that he was walking on, he came from the exact way that I walked in there. With the he had the wind at his at his face that day because my wind was almost blowing straight to him. But like I said, I was hunting the crosswind, so I just like shifted over just a little bit. And he came out of that ditch with the wind coming straight at his nose, and uh, he started walking that flat. He was gonna come. He was working his way downwind of it before I shot him. He's working his way downwind of the of the of a scrape plus that area that those does typically bed in where i saw those does or where i heard the does that morning and uh he came down through there at 10 o'clock and uh i remember adrian farley telling or talking about how those bucks will come up late morning or mid-morning to like middle of the afternoon and check those areas like those doe bedding areas like that during the middle of midday so i was like going into that hunt i knew i was sitting all day on the ground whether i was gonna move locations just a few hundred yards over maybe maybe to a different ridge or a different flat, sit in a ditch or something like that. But I knew I was going to hunt throughout midday in that area that I was sitting right there. And uh, at 10 o'clock, that dude came strolling out of one of those ditches and came straight up through that flat, checking that scrape. And uh, I, he presented me a 70-yard shot, which I wasn't real comfortable taking because it was kind of through some brush, but it was all I had. And uh, I was I was like, hey, you know, hey, hey, stop, you know, whatever, trying to get him stopped. And he, he just wouldn't stop. So I shot him on the trot and he – got a double lung slug through the got a slug through both double lungs and he only went like 20 yards so awesome awesome well uh i've got to ask you this uh you know killing that deer is that your um kind of when it comes to the the deer you've killed i mean is that one of your bigger bucks or you know is especially when it maybe came to like your your two public land deer so far yes he was definitely my biggest buck i've killed i've killed I've killed 18 deer in my life. Only two of them were on public land, and uh, about half of them were bucks, antler bucks. Some of them were smaller than others. I, caught, I actually shot a 12 point on our private land, and uh, but he wasn't as big and old or as old as the one I shot this year. The one I shot this year, he was only a three and a half year old buck, but that's probably the oldest deer I've shot. I've, I think the one I shot last year on public was three and a half, and I know this one was three and a half because I had an age at the check station that day. But um, he was definitely as far as uh, Size-wise, yes, definitely my biggest buck. We scored him at 125, which is Pope and Young requirements, but I didn't get him with my bow. But it's still like a, in my opinion, like a Pope and Young class deer. Yeah, it's a great deer. It's an awesome deer, dude. And I tell anybody, you it, like legitimately. This is you know for kind of southern audience here. If you're consistently killing, you know, three and a half, four year half year old deer, and they're 120 inches, I mean that mm-hmm. that's a dude. That is a great deer. So many people are like, man, if he's not 150, blah blah blah, 140. I'm like, maybe where you're at, but like in all honesty, I know I know grown men that are in their 60s. Yeah, I got like family members stuff that their biggest deer they've ever killed was 125 inches, or maybe even 130 inches. But it's just like yep. the the likelihood in some of these areas. I mean, sometimes you just you don't have that opportunity to kill, you know, just monster monster deer but dude 120 a legit 125 inch deer is a great deer man yeah That's- yeah i was really excited like i called my i called a couple of my buddies and my dad and uh tried to call my grandpa but he didn't have any service he was at deer camp and uh i they all told me how like i just they couldn't even hardly understand a word i was saying <laughs> after i'd shot that deer i was just i was just going crazy and uh i was gonna give him a little bit of time to go look for him but after i i didn't hear him crash or anything um, I walked up to where I shot him at to see if I could just see any blood and I was going to back out and like go to my truck, eat lunch and then, uh, bring a few of my buddies or my mom or my dad or somebody in there to help me track it. And, uh, I'll get down there and the blood is just, I mean, it looks like I shot it with a broadhead. It was just, the blood trail was unreal. And, uh, I happened to look down he was, uh, he ran down straight in the front of a saddle running straight downhill into one of those V cut ditches. Like I was hunting over. He, uh, cause he came out of one of them. And he was, I think he was uh, checking those scrapes, like I said, downwind or checking for those does. And then uh, that those does went down into that ridge that morning. He was on his way straight down there, and that's where he had ran once I uh, shot him. And uh, I get to that blood trail, and I just happened to look down the hill, and there he was laying there not 20 yards from where I shot him. So I went ahead and went down there and got him. 
called my I called my dad and uh somehow he got he talked my mom into coming out there. So I had my mom out there a mile and a half deep on public helped me drag that deer up and down hills. That was something else too. Oh, that's awesome. Actually that's where I was gonna get at is what was the recovery like getting that buck out of there? Yeah. I mean I I I field dressed it and gutted it and I didn't I didn't like uh I didn't skin it or quarter it up or debone it or anything out there. We just me and my mom grabbed an antler and my dad carried uh I actually had my saddle that morning, but I wasn't hunting in it. I just brought it just in case I wanted to climb a tree. So he he took my he took my gun, my saddle, my pack, and my sticks and stuff while me and my mom grabbed an antler and just drug it back to the truck. It was about a mile and a half back. Oh man, I'm sure your mom was happy. I don't know. Oh yeah, she's real happy. <laughs> I don't know. My mom my mom would not have been out there doing that. So I'll give your mom props. Uh uh-huh. yeah. that's awesome. So we got him back and got it checked in. That's awesome, dude. Um, so l- let me ask this as, you know, kind of getting to a, a point, kind of getting ready to, you know, wrap up the episode. What have been some of those big takeaways for you, uh, so far this season that you're going to kind of work on building upon, uh, especially for maybe on later this season, but also for, you know, seasons to come. Mm-hmm. It, that is going into those ditches, like even farther down in there, crossing more of them, getting into more far back areas and, uh, trying to find a bigger buck because actually it was, um, Last weekend, I was driving around a different WMA uh, up here in Northwest Arkansas, and I saw a really good buck. Took a video of him from the road. He was actually he was standing on private land that was completely surrounded. It was just a little yard of private land surrounded by the WMA. He took off in there. I was like, man, I got to go after that buck or go in there and see where he was. So the next day, I came back, and I parked my truck, and uh, I went in there to see exactly where he was, what kind of area he was walking into whenever I – filmed him that day and uh i crossed three really big tall deep steep nasty all kinds of just terrible ridges but they were full of deer i I jumped a few walking in there that day and uh i get back in there to where that deer had ran in on that ridge and i could see a really defined trail crossing one of these ditches and i realized my man that's probably like a doe trail i didn't see the leaves have all fell pretty much by now. So I didn't really see like a, what I would think was a buck trail a little bit below it. Kind of like where Rusty talks about mm-hmm. how they're the deer, the does will have like a really defined one. And the bucks always are a little bit below them or above them. And their trail is not quite as defined. I didn't see that just because I think all the leaves were in and that I just think is because all the leaves were in, but I did find a few pretty good scrapes that they weren't real fresh, but you could tell there had been scrapes there from earlier in the year. I found some, ginormous rubs really close to where i saw that deer and so the next day i sent my brother in there to hunt and uh he hunts public land with me a lot up here i sent him in the hunt and i told him to sit in one of these ditches kind of down towards towards the midpoint of it i guess it was about halfway up it to where if they were above him he they would be about eye level with him but if they were down there in the very bottom of it he could have a shot down to him and uh he saw 11 does cross that trail that i had uh came across the other day no bucks but i just thought it was cool so next year i will be definitely um focusing more on those steeper areas just like i kind of started at the mid-season this year listening to rusty awesome well uh that's that's awesome dude i mean i think there's there's so much to it especially with like some of these episodes and some of these uh guests is you know, sometimes it's like the smallest thing that someone will say that something I guess will say that just like triggers something for you that you're like, Oh mm-hmm. man, and that's the light switch. Now, a lot of times yep. it's not like these super elaborate, uh, you know, detailed, um, you know, episodes we might do, which nothing against us. I, I, I love all the episodes, but it's like, sometimes there's something that simple, like, Hey, just focus on that really, really steep terrain in those ditches and the steep faces of those hillsides. Um, is just going to hold more deer and, and that's where they're going to get away from the hunting pressure. And it's like, dude, mm-hmm. you do that. And it's like a light switch. It goes from like not seeing really many deer to any deer to freaking deer on pretty much almost every hunt. Um, so that, that's awesome to kind of hear that Carson. So um, let me ask, is there any, is there any kind of final thing you want to discuss or go over before we kind of wrap it up or any kind of final piece of advice, maybe for some of the listeners out there? Um, thermals. Thermals are a big thing that I did this year. Like just, hunting the thermals different in the morning versus hunting them different in the evening because last year i didn't really hunt thermals or any of the previous years i just kind of hunted wind direction but even if the wind was kind of iffy in some areas i hunted this year where i was able to see deer even if the wind was predicted to be like a certain direction it never was just because in the mountains you know especially if you're hunting down in one of those ditches it's all kinds of swirling but on those early mornings when the wind's very light those thermals play a big part and uh that that really keyed me in on some 
new hunting opportunities in those WMAs is just playing the thermals rather than playing the wind. All right. Well, Carson, dude, I appreciate you coming on for this week's uh, listener success story. Again, congratulations to your season so far. And, hey, it's just build, it's just building blocks for you, man. There's so much more yep. to kind of learn and build upon. And, uh, I mean, I know, Arkansas, y'all got a really long season, so I think y'all go to, like, the freaking end of February. Is that not right? Yep. Yeah, end of February. I'll be out there probably tomorrow somewhere. That's crazy. That's crazy. So, yeah, I think Arkansas's got one of the longest bow seasons in the country. But uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of season left. But, man, uh, again, hope you can have a, a great rest of your season. Maybe have you back on for another listener success story, depending on yeah, how hopefully. things play out. And then, of course, got a lot to kind of build upon for next year. So, again, appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your experience with us. Yep, for sure. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.